0: heart of the oregon wine country you're listening to season five of the wine crush podcast stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world featuring winemakers from the willamette valley sponsored by country financial from origin stories to terroir here's your host heidi moore hey everybody welcome to wine crush podcast we are on stop number four of our road trip to Idaho and we are with Ron Bittner of Bittner Vineyards. I love it when I get to, you know, meet somebody actually in the flesh in person and this is we've had a really great conversation even before we've gotten started here sure. so yeah. we're going to have to kind of loop back to catch some of that gold because it was good. But you brought us a tempranillo today which is one of my favorites mm-hmm. and so thank you for doing that. Sure. Thank you for joining us and yeah. agreeing to this kind of Almost last minute. I think I kind of almost twisted your arm a little bit going, hey, I'm going to be there. You want to come? Yeah. And you were <laughs> no. so gracious to say yes and to actually show up. So sure. no. thank you for doing that. Um, and you've not listened to the show and you didn't really know what we were doing. So you're a really good sport. So okay. Thank you so very much. Um, but this is really all about you and um, okay. bringing the Idaho wine industry to the rest of the world and people who are interested in trying something different and new. And part of that is learning what your backstory is. And and we were just talking about it, but your backstory was not wine. You have a, a much greater interest okay. that wine is just part of. So let's kind of start where where you started kind of, you know, getting into the wine journey, and then we can circle back to the passion.
1: Well, the wine journey, I, I guess it started, could have, might've have been across the street at the College of Idaho. I'm a local, local boy. And I had a degree in biology there in 1968. I graduated and wasn't sure what I was going to do. But I got a research grant to study native bees at Purdue University of Indiana. And I thought Indiana was back east. I'd never been out of Idaho. But my wife and uh, oldest daughter and I, she was two at the time, headed off to Indiana. I loved Purdue. I I learned a lot about uh, native bees. Most people don't realize there's 4,000 kinds of bees in the United States and one honeybee. Everything else is primarily a native bee, not all of them.
0: And everybody just, when you say bee, it always goes directly to the honeybee or the bumblebee.
1: Right. And with a the honeybee, they all want to know, well, what do you do with all the honey? Well, the, the other bees don't collect honey. They're not social. There's no queens. But uh, pollen is the uh, source of protein for all the eggs they lay. And then the honey, the nectar that they just take out of a flower, they just use that to moisten the pollen and give some energy. So I started at Purdue. I love Purdue, but I miss my mountains because I grew up in the mountains about 80 miles north of here and a little town of 100 people, you know, 14 kids in my class. So but I came to see if I played some football here, uh, went off to Purdue, missed the mountains, and was offered another research grant at USDA Bee Lab in Logan, Utah. In Logan, Utah. And I went there to study the alfalfa leaf cutting bee. So I did my PhD work on this little bee that was just fairly new in the 60s. Didn't know a lot about it. So I did a lot of research on it and did my PhD on it. And that little bee is the reason Idaho is such a great producer of alfalfa seed in the world, because it's not like a honeybee. That's one of the flowers that it primarily pollinates is alfalfa seed. And because of the little bee and its ability to rapidly pollinate seed, a thousand pounds of seed in three weeks, uh, 1995 I was invited by CSIRO Australia to come down there and introduce that bee to Australia. And at first I was a little nervous about introducing a bug into Australia because of all of the issues they've had, but because this little leafcutter bee can pollinate so rapidly it helps conserve water in australia and that's always the thing you, you got to honeybee's take three months to pollinate make seed this little bee is done in three weeks and so i wrote the protocols at csiro and work with the uh, farmers and uh, researchers there and uh, finished that project up in 2006 while i was there i fell in love uh, with Australia and their wines, I wasn't really a wine person, but the, the Aussies are such fun people, and they were always wanting to have a drop of Shiraz. And uh, <laughs> so I, I came back. I started planning Shiraz. Everybody said, "What is that?" It's Syrah. But uh, doing some blends with my Petit Verdot and Merlot, and uh, the Syrah has just been a dynamic grape for us. And I can talk about that a little bit more when we get into the wines, but. Anyway, I've uh, had a career of uh, working with non-honey bees that farmers can buy and manage the bumblebees. I've worked with bumblebees, blue orchard bees, alkali bees. There's only four or five species that are commercially available that a farmer can get for his crop. So I've been doing that for 40 years with bees, and they've taken me all over the world, all over the Middle East, uh, India. So i appreciate that little bee it's uh, it's on our labels it's on everything we actually have some watercolors of bees on our labels that uh, represent my phd work my master's work bees i've worked with in the world so bees have been part of my life i really uh currently i'm on the board of directors at uh, pollinator partnership out of san francisco it's the largest 501c3 in the world promoting educating people about bees. So that's been a fun project for me. So bees, uh, they're there. They're part of my life, always have been. They paid for a lot of my uh, wanting to try different things and wine growing. But when I finished up my PhD in 1974 out of Utah State, I missed Idaho. So we came home and uh, found a little property on the hill that... uh, was overlooking the snake river and Sanche pale was just getting ready to build their winery and the first winemaker was bill broach building a house below us and uh he came up one day and he was building his house i said above him and you'll see where when you visit there later today it's pretty steep and uh was, i knew it was going to be hard to farm because and there wasn't anything there in 1980 81 but sagebrush but uh Bought the property for the view of the Snake River Valley. Bill Broach was the first winemaker for Saint-Chapelle. He came up and uh, we're visiting. And I said, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with the sagebrush and it's too steep to farm. And he said, Bittner, you're sitting on a world-class site for Chardonnay. And I said, well, Bill, that's cool, but what's Chardonnay? (laughs) Because I had no idea about wines. And he explained to me the slope, south-facing slope, Snake River River below us there climate soils all of that and so we started planning amy she was five we started planning that that's my daughter that in 1981 the little block of chardonnay below our house and we have about four acres there now so yeah i've got my vineyards are some of the older ones here at 40 40 plus acres on the whites and my reds are 20 25 years old so that's what started me didn't know what i was doing but i always loved to farm when i was a kid and so, that was where I got started. While I was working in Australia, 2000. Well, this was in 98 when I was working there, I got a phone call from a young man and introduced himself as uh, Greg Koenig and uh, told me he was going to have a winery here in Idaho. And I said, well, that's, that's cool, uh, Greg. And he said, I'd like to buy some grapes from you. And I said, well, that's cool too but i said where is your place and he said well it's going to be right below yours i haven't built it yet it's just another little old farm shed and so 1997 took some cabernet down there to greg and uh you know back then as a grower he was gonna to uh pay me by the ton or whatever it was a, it's a small block but uh, we got down there and he started sorting through the grapes and he started throwing some of my grapes on the ground and i said wait a minute Greg had this how's this work when you're paying me by the ton and he said I want to make the best Cabernet I can make and he said this is a little bit of mildew not enough color I said here's the deal Greg I want you to make the best Cabernet but I I want you to make some Cabernet for me and uh, so that's when our relationship with Greg Koenig who's really the wine master who, Created the name for Idaho, in my opinion, because of his reds and his whites. He's done beautiful whites for us. So that, that was our start with Greg. And uh, he called me later that I don't know, it was probably 98. He'd entered the 97 Cabernet in a competition in New York. And he said, Ron, I said, what? And he said, we just got a gold medal. Is that good? And I said, beats me. I'm not in my <laughs> business. I think it probably is. And then the 97 was invited to the Jeffersonian Institute. Competition for excellence in agriculture that year, and it won a big award there. And so, starting in '97, Cabernet was a great grape for us. We actually just on that same block uh, got a gold in Denver with uh, our reserve because we only make have an acre and a half of it. We don't do a lot. Uh, My production uh, on this 14 acres that I have is typically 20 tons, including my neighbors, but it's all local right there. But uh, we made That into 1500 case production, and that's where we've stuck all these years. So, started with Greg, then one of his helpers were the three amigos, uh, Martin Fugitian. My wife worked at the College of Idaho for, for Martin's dad, and we just got to be friends with Martin. He's a super kid. And he and Greg and I, over the years, were always we'd hold uh, dinners together and do things, and we we're, were known as the three amigos. So, it's really been a fun ride. Uh, you know, not having a background with wines of helping Idaho come ahead.
0: It's it seems to be an industry that's getting a little bit of attention now. So we are. It's, it's it's small, yeah, still. And I love it because it's small, and there is like this really great camaraderie with so many of you that are. Yeah. You know, it's nice seeing kind of that rising tide lift all ships kind of adage, and it still feels like you have that here.
1: We do. Uh, you know, I. I don't know that much about grapes or didn't, I've learned to realize that that our wines that we make do really well in competitions. I never thought about that we would compete with other people. Uh, I think it was seven years ago, for two years, I was chair of the Wine Growers of America. And uh, again, I don't know why I was chair, but I, I was there. Some of the guys from Sonoma and Nampa Valley took my wife and I out to dinner that night. And And we all agreed to bring a cabernet along, and uh, I said fine, and I was still nervous about it. But we sat down, and these four guys over there from Northern California—they had fourteen thousand acres of of uh, wine grapes. Oh my! These were big guys, and uh, well, but nice because they were farmers, you know. And I always get along well with farmers, and. uh, so, we'd all brought, and they said, how many uh, acres do you have, Bittner? And I said, 14 <laughs> acres, not 14. I said, 14. They said, 1,000? I said, no, 14 acres. They <laughs> <laughs> said, that's fine, you know. And so, we had our meal that night, and we were, everybody was drinking the cabs they'd brought. And uh, later that evening, uh, Mary and I were sitting there, but uh, one of them said, turn the light up. And they said, oh, my God, this is Bittner. So, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? And they looked at me and said, Bittner. And I said, what? And they said, you can play with us.
0: That's a huge compliment.
1: And it is from farmers from Nampa Valley and Sonoma. And some of them are still friends. A couple of them uh, are even wine club members still. But it gave me the confidence that, you know, as a grower, and when they said I can play with them, that uh, from there on it doesn't, I'm not intimidated by anybody talking about an Idaho wine. Part of that committee was Jerry Lore. Jay Lore. We went out to dinner one night. And... Uh, Uh, So I asked him for his advice and he said, Ron, in the wine world, you have to be really, really little or really, really big like me. And so that's been my philosophy the whole life. He said, make good wine and keep it fun and stay small or you got to start moving up the food chain. But in between, it's a real hard world because of all the costs involved. And even though it's hard at the smaller level, he said, but, you know, just uh, what it costs to put on, then you have to get really big to recover anything. So. I felt very fortunate to have people like that mentor me along the way. I have a friend from the College of Idaho. We were roommates. He invited me to Port of to uh, three years ago. And he said, you know, my California neighbor has got something to do with red grapes in California. So he invited him over. He came over that night. I brought my cab. And, well, his friend was Andrew Beckstoffer of Northern California. It has the most well-known, oldest Cabernet blocks in California.
0: You're kind of running with the big boys.
1: I was, and not knowing it, not intimidated by it, but I, you know, I, he, oh, he's a nice Cabernet, Ron, and his wife brought a bottle of Tor, which is a two hundred fifty dollar bottle, uh, Beckstoffer's Vineyards. He doesn't have a winery, but uh, he gets paid based on what the winemakers in California. Uh, he takes a thousand dollars times two hundred fifty dollars, twenty five thousand dollars a ton for them to even buy wow. it. Here it's you know fifteen hundred two thousand dollars. And so I got to know him. He invited me down there. I still sit on the Davis UC Davis uh, uh, Viticulture Foundation just reviewing papers with viticulture each year. I still, I guess I'm not retired at all, but I enjoy reading papers in viticulture and entomology. So, and I attribute that to getting a good education here at the College of Idaho, going to great schools and, uh, you know, enjoyed research. I was with the University of Idaho as an extension Specialist. And uh, I was 76 two weeks ago, and uh, I'm getting old enough. I don't, I argue more than I used to with people, (laughs) but it's been fun. And it's especially been fun coming from Idaho and watching these other wineries. You've got some of the younger wine growers here and uh, uh, that are going to be talking in the next next two days. And, you know, they're gung ho and really want to grow. Amy and I have been together, my daughter, for so long. We look at it. And when people say, well, you need more advertising, you need to grow, and I'm like, well, my wines take anywhere from the time I plant them to when you have a glass, uh, four to six years, we take a lot of time to make these wines. And so I'm not <laughs> I'm not adding any more acres, we don't need to, we're in a good spot, and uh, our wine club is, is has been really good to us. A lot of people have moved into the Boise Valley, it's really grown, and... I know, I I don't say anything about, oh, they're from California, because my wife was a secretary on a ranch from California that I met 25 years ago. But some come with tremendous palates, and they also come with like, wow, $50, that's nothing for a wine like this. And so we get told that over and over, allowing us to stay small, and not just because they're from California. Because... We make wines and we have friends with people who are school teachers that can't afford some of our wines because our, our reds are all in that 35 to $50 range. But uh, we make exceptions and uh, because Amy grew up here and she's, you know, there's still people who want to come out and just enjoy things. So we've got special deals for the locals that don't choke when they talk, you know. Special
0: deals for special people. For
1: special people. And that's what I've enjoyed about Amy. She's really a, a, a caring person and She's doing other things. She's working right now to become a work in the foster care system because Mm. what we've decided is we're three days a week. We're open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We do some business, but then the rest of the time she needs to have another life. And she's chosen a life now to learn about working with the state to uh, interview people who are bringing in foster kids. And, And I admire that in her. So. We're trying to make this a family business where we're all not stressed out and making good wine and moving forward. And so, enjoying yourself. Enjoying ourselves. And Man, your
0: time together, which our is. Our time together, so yeah. Big.
1: It is. Yeah. It life, is. life is short. So, it is short. I, you know,
0: spending time with family and the ones that you love and doing things that are prolific and good for the community and good for others is such a big thing.
1: It is. And uh, that's always been our philosophy. I lost a brother to cancer three years ago and he's younger than me, but it just. Shook me to my core that life is too short, and you don't take anything for granted. So I have a beautiful wife and Amy, and ten grandkids, and we have ports that every barrel of port we have, starting clear back fifteen years ago, has got one of our grandkids' name on it as they come along. And so our latest release, we harvested two thousand eleven. And we just bottled it last year. I mean, it's almost it oh, wow. 10 years. When I was in Australia, I fell in love with ports and, and especially the aging process with ports. So, and that port just got a gold medal in Denver. So, we make nice ports. Um, we have fun with our wines. My wife is responsible for several of the labels, our, our Merlot. Uh, we do a limited release of Menopause Merlot. Oh, Jesus! And it is totally <laughs> sought after, and it's almost a cult wine out here, and uh We have an artist, uh, Jill Neal, from Bend, Oregon, who does these labels for us. And so we have fun with labels like that. My my wife is Hispanic. Uh, We do Tres Mujeres, the three women, because she has two sisters. Her mother had two sisters. Her grandmother had two sisters. And it's a, a late ripening harvest for Cabernet, because a lot of this valley, they want to drink Cabernet, but they can't handle a big cab like we make. So we've made some for the local population, a lot of Hispanics here that love tres mujeres. Mi is a bottle of wine that we spend more money on the barrels, and uh, three years in the barrels, take our three favorite selections, and it's a limited production. This is We've been doing this in 2010, every three years we do a release, but it's 66 cases, and the current price of that, when Amy said it's going to go for $100, I'm like, we can't do that, but... We don't have any problem selling it because there are people who want a wine like that. And it's gotten twice now, it's gotten 90 points of suckling out of the wine spectator. So, so we know we're doing okay. People, when you go into a competition and they don't know they're from Idaho, it's like, wow, you know, Idaho. Uh, You're this surprising the population. Well, this year, let's see, we started out with a San Francisco Chronicle, we, we like that one, but it's a big competition. We did a gold on this nail we're having here today, mm-hmm. silver on the Petit Verdot blend, one of my favorite blends from Australia, and our dry Riesling that I learned to love because the Aussies do it in a real dry style. And uh, went from there, went to the Sunset Magazine International Competition. Wow. Our Syrah, 97 points, double gold. It was one of the highest-ranked uh, Syrahs there. Caught us off, By surprise, one of the judges said, wow, this is like strapping wild horses. He said, hang on. You know, I'd never heard that description before. And Amy laughed because our our she always had little horses when we were growing up. So I guess what goes around comes around because she said, yeah, strapping wild horses. Then we just got our medals from Denver last week. So... And it's not just Bittner Vineyards. I mean, there are some great wines coming out of this valley, and uh, so it's it's fun to promote Idaho. That's what we're doing right now.
0: Yeah, it is, and Idaho is newer on the radar for a lot of people because it's it is. People don't think past Walla Walla, they don't think past Tri Cities, you know, or you know, even potatoes. Parts, it's potatoes. potatoes yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the Idaho potatoes, and so it's really fascinating for me to read the history. So I you know, read mm-hmm. a lot of the history of Idaho and the planting of the grapes way back in the 1800s. And it sounded like maybe some of them were pulled out during Prohibition. A lot of them, yeah. Yeah. And so now it's kind of this resurgence of not just Riesling, but several other varietals that are obviously doing great things in the world of wine. And it's just going to take time, you know, for it to I don't know, catch on, word to spread, people to discover what amazing things are coming out over here. Because I think when I first kind of dipped into the Idaho scene a couple years ago, there was only 60 wineries Mm -hmm. in the entire state. And when I
1: started, there was four of us. (laughs) Yeah. So you're, you know,
0: obviously (laughs) one of the the OGs, you're like the pioneer. You know, it's
1: not exploding like Washington and Oregon, but, and we never will because our our grapes have to be planted on these hillsides and they're hard to farm. And so we're not going to do big, expansive areas, but we can make really nice wines on less less acres. Yeah,
0: it's yeah, and I don't even know if it's so much that. And I know Oregon took quite a while to kind of get mm-hmm. you know going as well, and you almost have to have that ramping momentum. But it's also nice, kind of being this hidden gem to where you can stay small and you can you know kind of still surprise people with the great wines that are coming out of here.
1: Well, and the Pacific Northwest. When I was an extension specialist with. Uh, University of Idaho I mean we worked with the guys from Oregon and Washington It was so cooperative and and the wine industry has been that way too uh, you know going to Washington, uh, Jerry Bookwalters, he helped me plant my vineyard because he was coming down there doing things. I got to know the guys in Washington just from the meetings and they were always very helpful to us and Andy Perdue and Eric Dagerman, you know they're Washington wine writers, but they have just devoted a lot of time and, and energy in promoting Idaho for us same way over in Oregon. You know, Greg Jones, we were talking about earlier, worked with us to do our very first AVA. And Greg and I've been, you know, that was 15 years ago now. But, you know, we've been friends ever since. So, it's been a very cooperative thing to watch the whole Northwest grow. And, you know, we refer to ourselves as the Walla Walla wannabes because they've just exploded. (laughs) But we're still in a good position because, uh You know, when we enter these Northwest competitions and they're judged without anybody knowing when we're pop, pop, pop. We're right there with the rest of those guys. And uh, we just don't have as many wineries. And we never will, but we can still make really nice wines down here.
0: It's always nice when you're given that glory of, you know, those that are considered to be some of the greats and you're sitting right there at the same table with them, whether it's Napa or... Oregon or, you know, wherever else for that matter. I mean, Australia has their own thing. New mm-hmm. Zealand has its own thing, obviously. And that's the beauty of wine is that it yeah. it speaks to so many different genres and um palettes and interests for that matter. I mean, it's, you could be, I don't know, you could go on and on and on and on and on with wine. And I think that's what's made it so magical.
1: And I never thought that I would look at wine that way. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is something that, uh, people get together and discuss things. And it's it's allowed me to have my career initially with bees, and then I got into the vineyards and wine. And I'm an entomologist, and uh, we were the first live certified vineyard in Idaho. And there's only two of us still, but it's live certifications is out of, uh, you know, Salem. It's a third-party certification that you don't use a lot of chemicals. And I don't need to. I have background in beneficial insects and So I've been live certified for eight years, no roundup on our place. You know, everything we do is by hand, even uh, there's hardly any machinery on the place. If it is, it's a little uh, four-wheeler that we use. I've still been able to make some really nice wines with fewer than a couple of sprays a year if we do need to do a mildew spray. But my workers and I, especially Amy and I, and my wife's Hispanic, but our workers are just, they don't get enough praise. You know, they're out there six in the morning because it's already a hundred by, you know, and it's just, and, and we love our workers. Four of them have worked with us for 12 years, two families. They are family to us. And my wife and I started a scholarship at the College of Idaho for Hispanic kids about 10 years ago. And we've helped put four kids, you know, Hispanic kids uh, wouldn't have had that opportunity to go through yep, a college like the College of Idaho. And, you know, there are doctors now and, uh, you know, it's just, it's fun. And, uh, being able to do those kind of things, being able to have my vineyard certified live. Last year we got the Salmon Safe award. I think there've been 10 of them in the Northwest. We got one of them and when they called me to tell me that, uh, there's no salmon around here and they said, "No, but you you overlooked Snake River and that's part of saving salmon when it ends up to the ocean." And so I've gotten awards like that that just come out of nowhere, but it's it's what we do. We take care of the land and take care of our people, all of them including our our workers cuz we always tell people you wouldn't have this first glass of wine without these people here helping you. And we do dinners, and we always invite our workers to fancy dinners, and they dress up and come. And so it's just it's fun. It's fun. It's yeah, great. it's very yeah. fun.
0: Well, let's kind of just wrap this up because people are going to be very interested to come see you now. And I know you have a lot of your wines dedicated to wine clubs. So this is your motivation to join a wine club in Idaho. Yeah, if you still. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we
1: we have several people from Oregon and Washington, but it's we're limited and we're where we want to be. But uh, go to our website, make a reservation, come sit down, have dinner with us sometime or, or lunch or whatever, and, and we'll we'll talk about you joining. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, and you are in the Sunny Slopes, so the Caldwell area, mm-hmm. correct? So what's the, is it com Is that the website? And mm-hmm. then you're also on social media.
1: Some with, with Facebook. We do yep. some, and my, my daughter does that. I haven't figured it out yet. We try and do some things. And that's that, why so. you
0: have the younger, the right. The, yeah. that the kids do it, cause even I struggle with it a little bit. Yeah. But I, I'm learning slowly, yeah. but surely, I'm learning. But, um, yeah, go on, check out the labels. Yeah. I had noticed the B labels, which are beautiful, the watercolor yeah. ones, and was going to mention that, but you beat me to it. And I did not see the menopause wine, so... Oh,
1: there's a whole series of those are awesome, too. Yeah,
0: so, so I'm going to have to seek that out and and find those. And
1: you can buy our wines online, too. We're not in every state, but if you go to Bittner Vineyards, there's a little shopping cart there. And I think menopause Merlot is one that we have out there. And there's four or five we'll put out for that. Uh, and we're in, you know, we allocate a couple hundred cases into the Boise market just for some of the restaurants and things. But uh, mostly, you just show up at our place or order some online and... Which You'll is, have a good which time. Which is
0: even yeah, which is even better. I love showing up, yeah, uh, on on place and doing that. Well, Ron, thank you so very much. Sure. Um, thanks for bringing this Tempranillo. This was ab- absolutely fabulous. It has this really beautiful finish on it? Yeah, that's it's really fun wine. a nice wine to probably for anything. It's not even just a dinner wine. I think you could probably just drink this just in the evening and enjoy just a, a yeah. really beautifully elegant glass of wine. Yeah.
1: And the label on the front says Erleche. Why does it say Erleche? Mary and I traveled to Spain several years ago with Basque friends, and we stayed in a little B&B. And I asked the lady above the, what's that word above our bedroom door? And she said, Erleche? Well, that's Basque for the bee house. Oh, how serendipitous. And so we named this bottle after her. She's since passed away, but uh, she took me around where the Romans kept bees and everything else in Spain there. And so that's what Erleche is. And uh, so it's a fun Fun wine, yeah.
0: Well, that is an amazing way to just say goodbye and end the episode with just another piece of information that I didn't have before we started.
1: Okay, well, thank you very much for taking the time with us down here.
0: So, yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you for agreeing to be part of my crazy little project. And we're going to buzz up to the house here in just a little okay. while and see the, see the views.
1: Yeah, enjoy it. You know, uh, we're probably off here right now, but the other night, one of our barn outs, we keep barn owl boxes there and one of the young ones was out in the yard just hopping around about this time of day I don't know if he'll be out there right now but
0: uh, I sure hope so because I love barn owls I
1: do too yeah and uh he's just learning to fly and he's still big but he was hopping around the yard and everybody's like wow look at that he's <laughs> right beside the deck and, that's awesome yeah well
0: I hope he's out there because we will definitely get some video and some footage of of the hop around my my grandpa always um had barn owls in and yeah. um, his oh, big barn they in the are remote. fun so I always had a, a love for owls and barn owls. So
1: yeah. anyhow,
0: well, thank you. Oh, thank you. So Heidi. very much. It was so great to actually like meet you, meet sure. you in person. And next time we'll meet Amy and okay. Mary, hopefully too.
1: And I want to say that we went with you because for the insurance reason, because I belong to Wine America, I was on a board there for a while, but we've always been involved with these big insurances out of California. And every time... They think we're too small, and mm-hmm. Martin introduced me to you, and uh, I'm so glad that you're going to be uh, doing the coverage for us here in our little winery. So thank well, you. We
0: were very excited. I get excited with every new client, and it's yeah, it's for me it's extra special when somebody's been referred to me and. And honestly i mean like this podcast for me is such a educational piece because i learn something new yeah every person i talk to and even if i talk to you now i'm going to learn something new from you next time i come out and hang out and yeah, i don't you know, sit
1: still it, but you can
0: <laughs> i well i don't either so this is about as good as i do for about a half hour and i'm a fidgeter so yeah, i actually did quite well i'm kind of feel like i'm seat belted in, in this chair so yeah but no i'll uh we'll be back out and hopefully october
1: ish yeah. um harvest. mary
0: says i can stomp through her grapes with her when they, oh, yeah, when yeah. they do their harvest well, that, and
1: you know they're fun kids too yeah so you know we're all we just I we're, have, we're so small we have.